0: Welcome to The Shannon Plan. My name is Kyle Posey. We are officially in the off season. If you have been listening to sports radio, I'm sure sports talk radio, what's on TV, whatever is going on, I'm sure you're already tired of it because the hyperbole is already out of control, but we will be with you all off season. Again, I'm Kyle. I'm joined as always by Akash. Akash, how are you?
1: Doing good, man. I cannot believe it's the off season already. I, I, like most of our listeners, probably miss football, dreading and I just want to fast forward you know, through free agency, through the draft, and just right back into September, we can get into week one. But you and I both coming off of some pretty big Super Bowl losses. Uh, the wallet is hurting a little bit after Sunday, for sure. All we needed was the freaking the holder ball. to the holder hold the to ball. To
0: catch the ball, man. Do your job, and we cover, and we're good. Unfortunately, special teams isn't a real thing. <laughs> so we were hurt all right let's talk about the 49ers so what we are going to do today is we're going to look back at last offseason and just talk about some of the moves and the transactions that the team made and see how it paid out played out and see how it affected this season so let's dig into it and as always it has to start with the quarterback because that's where the offseason you know they moved multiple first round picks for a rookie who did not step onto the field and because of that. It, it was just, it created a dynamic and a different dynamic in the locker room. And it seemed like it was tearing locker room apart at first. And at first we saw Trey Lance have a package. And then all of a sudden he didn't play for her until the 49ers actually had to have him on the field after Jimmy Garoppolo injury later on in the season. So uh, the decision to keep Jimmy on the roster, I feel like is a good place to start because you, you you're not going to trade for a rookie in this, this situation and not have a veteran the decision again to you know keep Jimmy and not roll with a backup quarterback who was on a lesser deal and at the same time Jimmy's been with his team for a few years he's battled through a bunch of different things with the team and I think more, most above all he has the respect of the players and I I would say that Kyle Shannon kind of sold that aspect short. The team element, you know, these guys are humans and they are, boy, like Trent Williams, George Gittle, like your best players are probably two of Jimmy's biggest supporters. So when that happens um, again, it's just going to create a different dynamic. So in hindsight, how do you feel about the decision, uh, their quarterback decisions in general and how they handle it? I guess
1: about eight weeks, eight weeks into the season when they were in Chicago and they were down in that first half and it looked like their season was about to end and Trey Lance was gonna come in the following week. It looked like the plan was a disaster. You and I were critical of the head coach Kyle Shanahan for how the situation was managed. We thought it was mismanaged in the off season that they tried to do too much, that they were trying to balance two different things, win at the same time develop a young quarterback um, you know, some players admitted that it kind of, you know, the outside noise got into the locker room, and that's why they had this low start. They didn't really necessarily have an identity on offense, right? They had the Trey Lance package, and it was just Kyle Shanahan was off, you know, uh, off his kilter as a play caller. He just couldn't find a rhythm. So it looked like every, it was just too much for him and the team early on in the season. So it looked like the plan was failing. But then they turned it around. Jimmy Garoppolo started to play a little bit better. The offense you know, punted on the Trey Lance package. They started to run the ball more effectively as the season went on. The defense started to play well. And next thing you know, there's rattling off wins. You rattle off two road playoff wins. You get to an NFC championship game. I'd say so far the plan has worked, right? There's two halves to the plan. The first half is keeping Jimmy Garoppolo and trying to win in 2021, as many games as possible, get to the playoffs. And you and I said it'd be a successful season if they got to the playoffs, they won a playoff game. Hell, they won two playoff games. They knocked off the one seed on the road, however they did it. And so I'd say it was a successful season, but that's just just half of it. Now the second half of it depends on what Trey Lance turns out to be. And unfortunately, you know, he didn't get a full season of true development in terms of being the starting quarterback as a rookie. He got a couple games, which is really good still, because you still get two weeks of full preparation as a starting quarterback. And so that's the biggest question mark. This offseason, can Trey Lance improve upon his, you know, his footwork? Can he get more, you know, familiar with the playbook? Can he just be more comfortable in the offense, get comfortable with his receivers? And can he hit the ground running next season? And if they're able to do that, if they're able to do the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes thing, which is a really tough comp, but if they're able to live up to like 75% of that, then I would say it's a successful plan. But so far I'd say half of it's successful. And the second half is kind of a we, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I mean, since December from whether it's Fred Warner, whether it's Peter King, we've heard that, you know, Trey Lance is killing it in practice. He's doing this. He's doing that. And then as recently as Wednesday, Jay Glazer came out and said the same thing. Like the team is loving what they've seen from Lance. And, you know, he's, I I don't want to say overachieving, but I want to say what I want to know know is how much stock do we put into these words? Because we can't see these. We can't see what's happening. We can just go based off what we've seen Lance do in a regular season game. And I thought, you know, he played above average for the situation, considering the situation against the Texans. I thought he showed that, you know, he could be a high level quarterback. He showed good processing. You know, there's always going to be questions about his accuracy. But again, uh, that was a second start. So it's tough to put too much. It's tough to, you know, critique him too much in that situation, but he has to hit like for this situation to work. He has to be a guy. And I don't I'm not saying he has to be like a top five Josh Allen type of quarterback who, you know, just plays out of his mind in the playoffs. But he has to play at a level where the 49ers are consistently in the playoffs. And I and that is probably a big ask for a 21 year old. But when you move multiple first round picks for him and they are a playoff roster, even, you know, no matter what happens this offseason, they're still going to be a playoff roster heading into next season. So that just puts the onus on Trey Lance to perform. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, um, just as far as the first half worked like they made the playoffs. And not only did they make the playoffs, they got the NFC championship and they (laughs) they should be in, they should have been in the super bowl. We could make an argument that they we should be talking about the 49ers being super bowl champions because I don't think that they're they're losing to the Bengals, um, but we could play the what if game, you know, until we're right in the face. So, I uh, don't want to go down that rabbit hole too far. Okay. Um I, again, it's easy to critique this in hindsight, but I feel like the the lack of Shanahan didn't account enough for the human element, and that was probably the biggest loss in this whole QB situation. But the results speak for themselves. Like they won. Trey Lance was able to develop. Trey Lance was able to show enough flashes in practice, supposedly, allegedly. And for where we are right now, you know, after the season, it seems like you know, he's confident. Shoot, he was on he was on and our even show. In the two yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he he scored. And I guess if you want to take an optimistic view from this Shanahan's aggressiveness from a play caller from a fourth down standpoint like they went it went from yeah I'm okay with punting I'm okay with being a conservative coach like he is a conservative coach and just you just look at the numbers and that just went out of the window with Lance under center so hopefully that is a sign that of is. things to come hopefully you know he's going to you know, be just be more progressive and just look, look for reasons to rely on a guy with who is athletic, who has a big arm. And, you know, just built the way that the 49ers should play. You would think um, he would remain aggressive with Trey Lance Anderson. Now. All right, let's turn the page and let's go to the defensive side of the ball. So cornerback, which, as we saw all season. It seemed like that was the biggest position of need for the 49ers. And that's not a surprise because heading in, like Jason Verrett, who is incredible when he is on the field. The 49ers couldn't have asked for a better performance from a cornerback in 2020. At the same time, the odds of Jason Verrett knowing his injury history, remaining healthy for another full season, just they were not very high. With that in mind, the 49ers address the cornerback position, you could say, but they waited until the third day to do so of the draft. So Ambry Thomas did not play football in 2020. Diomedo Lenore was not thought of as this athletic, or when I say athletic, he didn't have enough speed to be able to turn and run with outside receivers. So those are the two main critiques from your rookie cornerbacks. They're probably not going to be able to produce. And even if they were, they are rookie cornerbacks. and That is a tough position to come in, hit the ground running in the NFL. So uh, there were no free agents well (laughs) i lied there were free agents but they the free agents that the 49ers brought in they didn't sign them until pretty much the season started like josh norman for example so um the cornerback position is a position that the 49ers have neglected for going on two decades now and for whatever reason (laughs) in a passing league in a league where we i mean watch that that AFC divisional round where you have Josh Allen you have Patrick Mahomes shoot the 49ers just played Dak Prescott Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford in the playoffs if that isn't a reason to invest highly heavily in the cornerback position I don't know what is but I feel like that should be you know they should get more than a slap on the wrist for again just failing to and this is tough just because they put so many resources into their defensive line and you can't you know you can't there's a salary cap. So you can't put all of your resources into every position. But what would you think about their offseason
1: moves as far as um, neglecting the cornerback position goes? I thought the cornerback position ended up a disaster. And by the end of the season, we kind of stepped off that take just because every Thomas started to play a little bit better. Um, Dante Johnson came in, you know, the last two weeks of the season or not the last two weeks, but against Green Bay and week 18 in Los Angeles and was able to give them some meaningful snaps. Um, honestly, in that Green Bay game, it played really well. And so once Josh Norman kind of was benched and not on the field, the 49ers uh, secondary just started to look a little bit better. So we, we didn't think it as much of it, but I just thought it was a missed opportunity and it's not like the 49ers front office didn't know. And they just neglected the position. It's just like you mentioned in the salary cap league, when you have 26 million dedicated to a starting quarterback and you're loaded on, you know, other positions, right? You got the highest paid left tackle, you got the highest paid tight end, you got the highest paid fullback and you know, you got the highest paid linebacker up until Darius Leonard got his contract. Eventually all these salary cap hits are just going to cause you to, you know, not put resources towards one position. And that was corner. And the 49ers chose to address that via the draft. Their draft picks necessarily didn't flash. Uh, Lenore had moments early in the season. Thomas sort of got better as the season went on and hopefully he can parlay that into something next season, but it was underwhelming for sure. I think they really banked on a healthy season from Emmanuel Mosley and Jason Verrett, which is a risk risk they took because of their salary cap issues and unfortunately it didn't pay off because Verrett got hurt early in the season. Emmanuel Mosley missed some time during the middle of the season and all of a sudden, you know, corner was, was a huge deal. And Honestly, we, we've talked about this before, but I think the 2021 defense was better than the 2019 defense, primarily due to the versatility of their defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans. And I just think back to imagine if he had, you know, 2019 Richard Sherman, an all pro on this defense, what they could have done. Um, and I think that's something they'll have to look to address this off season and just getting, you know, at least one solid healthy corner that you can bank on week in and week out. And at least the other position can kind of you know, fluctuate between Mosley and some rookies, just like that 2019 season. But you need, you need to stabilize like one of those positions uh, heading into next season. I'm a big fan of Emmanuel
0: Mosley. He is a underrated player. He, so he's going to be under contract for one more season. And like, he's, he's on a affordable contract. What, what I, the issue that I had was, so he's another guy who just hasn't an, an injury history. So he was hurt this year. He missed time. He also missed time last year at the same time. So expecting him to stay healthy was kind of, I don't, I don't want to call it fool's gold, but it it was a lot of hope. And the 49ers can't get by with hoping that their cornerbacks stay healthy for another off season. But when Mosley is healthy, he can play, Man, He, he can cover, he can tackle. He allows the 49ers to be versatile on the back end and for whatever he's just a good competitor and he's not going to be a guy that has like seven interceptions in a season but you know most cornerbacks aren't so when you're talking about the level and the value and how much money he is going to cost compared to where you have money invested elsewhere mosey is as ideal of a fit as it gets at cornerback so uh, he's another year under contract but again i don't i'm not sure that we saw enough from ambry thomas down the stretch where you're going to be like all right he's our starter. We're going to roll with him. They have to bring in somebody. And I don't know if that guy's going to be like a JC Jackson or a Carlton Davis, because they are going to be expensive. But I am with the money, assuming that the, you know, they are able to move Jimmy and they're free up that 25 million with some of that money that needs to go to a cornerback in free agency, an established cornerback who can play at a high level. And the other side will be like Mosley, and then you know if if Ambry Thomas you just rotate is, the other guys. Yep. Yeah. Like if Ambry Thomas is good enough, then he's good enough. But you know, there's K1 Williams as well, and I I don't know if the door is going to close there. But that kind of gets us into you know our next our next conversation where the the team signed a, a bunch of guys on. You know, some are one year deals, and some are their three year contracts but they're just, they're essentially one year deals because they can get out of their contracts after one year. But uh, Samson, who finished the season on a tear. Do you think that was the wise? Because in my mind at the time I would have given his contract and we should note that this was after COVID. So the salary cap went down and some of the, some of the free agents last season, you know, they would have gotten paid much more if they were free agents this season, just with the salary cap and where everything was. So, I would have given Ebukam's money to a cornerback, and that's not hindsight. I would have, I said that at the time. Ebukam hadn't played full-time edge rusher anytime throughout his career. So it was always going to take him time to learn the position, and boy, did he ever. So he came on hot, and he finished strong. I believe he had a sack in, what, like seven of his last eight games or something, something yeah. crazy like that. So kudos to him. Uh, when you get a guy, an athletic guy like that, put him in the hands of Chris Kosarek. Good things are going to happen. So, you know, that that was wise in hindsight to roll the dice on him. Um, Alex Mack, another guy, um, quote unquote, one-year deal. I uh, He's 37. I don't know that we're gonna see a better version of Mack. I would move on from him. Uh, same with uh, DJ Jones, another guy, one-year deal. I'm on the opposite. Like if, if you're gonna bring back anybody, bring back DJ Jones, he is, He's incredible, man. He finished number one in ESPN's uh, run run style. Yep, yep, yep. Um, But he was like, he played that well. And he's not just a guy that uh, was clogging up space. He was winning and he he did like him and Eric Armstead together. Like that was one of the better interior duos Uh, down the stretch. uh, Joukowsky Tard, a safety who, Fans are going to pretend sucks because he dropped interception, but they're also going to ignore the fact that he ran down a player the week before. And that's the only reason the 49ers advanced because they didn't give up a touchdown on that possession. And like he does a lot for the defense, but it's probably going to be time to move on as far as Tart goes. And then Kwan, Kwan Williams was well, a slot cornerback. I, I think that they can upgrade there. I know, you know, the shark blitz, you see, you see some of the plays that he makes around the line of scrimmage, and he is a fantastic run defender, and he is, he's a great zone coverage, but when he has to play man, and we saw whether it's slot fades running down the field, or just, you know, sticking with wide receivers underneath, uh, he struggled with that, so I, I move on from K1, I don't think, you know, I don't think Tart's coming back, and that's not by choice, I just feel like, you know, the relationship isn't, the relationship isn't going to uh, get any better there. So I feel like it's over with there. I would be back Jones. I'd move on from Mac. And I mean, evercom is tough just because, you know, Arden Key, he's come along. You can always upgrade, but I, I don't know. Ebercom's contract is, is
1: difficult when you look at it. Have you seen it? i have i think you end up saving like eight million dollars if you release him so yeah <laughs> i would, yep. i was on the uh yeah i would uh release him side of things uh just because of the cap savings you'd incur same thing with alex Mack, right i in an ideal world you hope alex Mack retires because then you save a couple million there um, and talk him into retiring right right and then on the dj jones front what happens when javon kinlock comes back does do you have kind of a redundancy at the position? Because you're hoping that Javon Kinlaw can kind of fill that role, fill that void, and you don't have to pay D.J. Jones. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. Dollars. Fair. <laughs> that would probably be the uh, the prudent approach um, to building out that defensive line. You know, we talked about it last week. Would you rather have D.J. Jones or Arden Key? And if Javon Kinlaw is able to give you something, I'd almost rather have Arden Key as an interior rusher. But... You know we can debate that until the cows come home. But back to the EbuCom contract. So yeah, he signed this kind of fake, you know, uh two-year deal, which was really one year, and then he had an out. So they'd save um six point five million dollars if they were to outright release him, and I would take See that the bank and cut him and just replace him elsewhere. Not how, to, how not good can EbuCom be,
0: I guess, is the question because again, this was his first year and I feel like it's safe to assume he's going to get better, but how much better and will that justify bringing him back on the contract? Because again, if you move on from him, you are hoping that Arden Key continues to, you know, ascend because he's, he's a good player. Like he's perfect for what the 49ers need. And you also need somebody else to step up in Ebukam's role because, you know, hope maybe that is, uh, Kinlaw, but you want to leave Armstead inside. So you need another pass rush. It, it's not an easy decision to make and Ebucom showed enough flashes, especially down the stretch. Like he was improving. He was evolving. Um, our Jordan Elliott wrote that the 49ers should bring in Dante Fowler. So maybe you swap Fowler too. for Ebucom. uh uh, their decisions. And these are the conversations that I imagine the 49ers are having inside the building. Um, Ebukom's tough though, because again, he's young, he's, he has upside. He plays with great energy. He's athletic he's still learning the position, he will probably get better, but how much better is going to be always a question.
1: True, because you look at just the 49ers cap situation heading into the offseason, right now they're four and a half million dollars over the salary cap, which they'll have to get under in about a month before the new league year begins, so they have to cut about four million dollars in salary. I'd imagine, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's trade will save them about 25 million, so they'll be about 20 million under the cap going into next season, but Like you mentioned, they've got all these voids to fill, right? Outside corner, slot corner, center if Mac retires, you know, pass rusher, interior defensive line. You know, they've got holes across the board, and every team does. I'm not saying this is just, you know, unique to the 49ers, but they'll have to make some tough decisions. Um, I'm assuming a couple guys will get restructured. Eric Armstead, Jimmy Ward are prime candidates for that just because their cap hits are so high. They played well this season, so you figure – and they were healthy – so you hope, you know, you can just kind of push that salary cap money down in the future years, open up a little bit more space, you know, Ebukam, prime, prime candidate, I would say to potentially release, to save some space and replace with someone like Dante Fowler or another speed rusher that you can bring in kind of on a cheaper one-year deal um, and just get into Chris Kocerec's hands and hope, you know, he can work some magic with him. The other position I thought that was interesting is linebacker, because you have a redundancy there with Dre Greenlaw and Aziz El-Shair. Do you see both of them coming back? Because I could potentially see the 49ers moving on from one of them, uh, namely Greenlaw and his cap hit.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see what they would get. Like, what do you think the market for Dre Greenlaw is? Because he can run, and when you can run, you are going to be a valuable asset at linebacker in the NFL. However, he does have a slight injury history as well. Like, he's been banged up, so he's undersized, and, and you have to take that into account. Greenlaw has one more, you know, year on his deal. So this is going to be the final year of his rookie contract, I believe. And his cap hit is uh, 2.6 million is his cap number. So I, I mean, he's a fifth rounder, so it's not like, um, you know, he's going to command, I guess he's not going to command a lot. He's probably not. You're not expecting to get much in return for him. This is, this is going to be no, a money it's move. salary cap move. Yeah. And that's it. So. I think the 49ers would ask themselves, who do we like more? Like who, who do we think would fit our scheme better moving forward? Would we rather play with Aziz Shire, who also has, you know, an injury history or Dre Greenlaw who, you know, who showed that he makes plays at the same time. The difference is um, Aziz Shire is a restricted free agent this off season. So they can, you know, probably have him on another cheap deal for another year before fully extending well, him. Yeah. Right. Um, they, They've done this before, and this last season, Jonas Griffith was. I mean, they traded for like a seventh round or something for, for peanuts, but again, it's just offloading players who you know um, you won't be able to keep around essentially. I, I would move on from Greenlaw, I think Aziz Al
1: Shire is better. Um, if you remember when Drake, I would do because I, I would do because that two and a half million dollars is more or less what DJ Jones made this past season, and DJ Jones is going to make more next season. That's you know but that's the type of player that you could potentially have in a position where, you know, half the time 49ers aren't playing three linebackers on the field. Right. So it's really, you're just, you have a redundancy. My unpopular take is that
0: Aziz Al-Shire is better in coverage than Dre Greenlaw. And when I say that, I don't mean like man coverage, just like the zone coverage, Dre Greenlaw tends to get lost. Um, when you see him run, when you see him make these sideline to sideline plays, it's great, but he just kind of has a chicken with his head cut off type when he's out there playing coverage a little bit. And Aziz is more under control. Uh, he's not the greatest in coverage, but they have Fred Warner, who, who makes up for a lot of issues and masks a lot of the issues that both Green Lion and Aziz Alshire, um had this past season. So. Yeah, I, th- I think Greenlaw is it, and that's a good point as far as replacing that 2.6 or whatever million it is, and using that on like I, I don't want to call DJ Jones a lower level free agent, but if you have DJ Jones a defensive tackle, I don't care who the linebacker is behind him because he is going to cover them up or eat up blockers, and now you don't have to worry about you know Greenlaw, Aziz Alshire, Warner having to take on blocks. So yep, that that's what I would do for sure. That's a good call. All right, you talked about filling the void. We're gonna turn the page here. And let's talk about the coaching hires. So for whatever reason, the 49ers have not filled any of their vacancies so far. So offense coordinator, Mike McDaniel, Dolphins head coach, Richard Hightower, I believe he is the special team coordinator for the Bears and yep. assistant head coach and tight ends coach former 49ers, John Embry, he was not retained. He also followed Mike McDaniel, as did the wide receiver coach, Wes Welker, Butch Berry, offensive line coach is now with the Broncos and the 49ers also lost their assistant offensive line coach, Zach Inzer. He went to be the offensive line coach for the university of Kentucky. So 49ers have a lot of, the only addition that they've had added to their staff is former Chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn. And fortunately, he's also the offensive coordinator for the Lions last season. He's going to be the assistant head coach, but There are a lot of holes to fill and a lot of vacancies to fill with the combine coming up in a couple of weeks. You would think that there are going to be moves made here soon. Uh, What's the holdup here? What's going on?
1: The 49ers typically like to go about this in, you know, having every vacancy filled on their coaching staff and then make one official release saying we've made these changes to our coaching staff and they've got like all the names. Right. And so my guess is that's kind of the holdup and trying to get all the interviews done, all the names filled out. Um, And I think most of the concern for 49ers fans on the offensive side of the ball, they see John Embry's gone, Wes Wes Welker's gone, Mike McDaniel's gone, the two offensive line coaches are gone. And all of a sudden there's, you know, who's Kyle Shanahan gonna backfill these guys with, but I would definitely say, you know, just be patient because Anthony Lynn, um, even though it's not officially, you know, uh, announced, uh, has been brought on. I'd imagine he's, you know, the run game coordinator slash assistant head coach. I imagine that's his title. Um, they're going to promote some guys internally. We've mentioned them. Leonard Hankerson, who was a quality control coach. He was a wide receiver for the Shanahan's back in Washington. I'd imagine he becomes the wide receivers coach. Then we've got Bobby Slowick, who has been a quality control guy for a while. He's been around the Shanahan's. He was a passing game specialist this past season. I imagine he becomes the passing game coordinator. So now you have your LaFleur and McDaniel of the future with Lynn and Slowick. And then the last guy is Clay Kubiak, um, who's one of, you know, 50 Kubiaks in the NFL. But he was a defensive quality control coach, which the Shanahan's like. They like their offensive guys spending a year on the defensive side of the ball. So they can see that side of it as well. Then they'll bring him back on the offense, I imagine. You know, he's got some title on the offensive side of the ball as well, working with quarterbacks and passing game. So now you've got the majority of that staff filled out. You still have, not you know, a hole at tight end, um, tight ends coach, which I'm sure they'll fill with somebody. The, the Shanahan Kubiak tree extends uh, far. So I'm sure they've got connections um, to bring someone in. I think the big question mark is probably special teams coordinator, right? A lot of the veteran names that we've mentioned have been hired. So now, who are they going to go with? Right, Rich Rich Passaccia is gone. Joe Judge is gone. Obviously, Richard Hightower, Chris Tabor. Um, uh, so a lot people of people wanted names, Joe Judge, but he returned, He went back to the Patriots too. Right. So a, a lot of these names are, are they now have jobs. So I imagine Kyle Shanahan's looking to elevate maybe an assistant special teams coach, someone that hasn't been a coordinator before. Um, but has been part of a good unit maybe, or maybe someone from the college rank, something like that I imagine is coming. So luckily the defensive side of the ball has basically stayed intact. I think every coach has stayed with the 49ers, which is good. Um, And then the big thing that's kind of hanging out there is Vic Fangio. So what do you think happens there? Do they bring him in as a consultant? Is that a future thinking move? Do you think that's something Fangio takes on? Yeah, I think it's more about what Fangio wants to do there, right?
0: Because we heard a report that Fangio met with the 49ers brass last week and nothing really came about. And it came, what we really learned was, all right, Fangio is probably not going to coach. And then he's going to be a consultant for the 49ers maybe. And then maybe not. So we just kind of wait and see there. I would imagine if Fangio wants to be a part of football, he would he would love. Like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of this defense? Like, why wouldn't you? He... I imagine he had a great time when he was with the 49ers Uh, he had a lot of success and now he gets he would have a chance to see what D'Amico Ryan's wants to do and they do a lot of similar things in a sense, and if you want to. um, uh, I guess I shouldn't say that just because it's Vic Fangio like he can do whatever the hell he wants to let's be honest here. I don't I don't think that he would be the next in line defensive coordinator. I don't know if that's something he wants to do, because D'Amico Lyons is not going to be around for very long. Like he's going to be a head coach sooner than later. So if Fangio is leaning to get back into the D.C. gig, maybe that would be a reason to come to the 49ers and, you know, be an analysis, because, um, again, like they have so many good players and they are going to be successful on that side of the ball. And Fangio would only help Ryan's as far as, you know, the the small intricacies that that he probably just doesn't know just because he's so new to being a coordinator. So um, I think it's it's really about what Fangio wants. And if that, if he does want to be, you know, a part of football, why wouldn't you come back to Fortnite? So a yes is what my answer would be. My long-winded answer would be yes, because if you think about just the whole Tom Brady thing. Like he spends one weekend at home, and all of a sudden, all right, um, this retiring thing's not so much for me. Uh, with Fangio, he's like these guys. All they've done all of their life is football. That's all they know. So to to go, you know, sit at home and think about an off season where you're not you know, doing something Game that you're planning you, or learning you know, or that's all yeah. they do. That's all they know is is football, football, football. So I imagine Fangio will get the itch and he'll want to return um I, as far as a special teams coordinator that is a big deal but i yeah i just have no idea like we're not out here um studying who the best special teams coordinators are in the nfl so uh, unfortunately we don't have like a strong answer for you but um it'll be interesting to see what shanahan does if he goes outside the building i feel like that would be very telling of what he feels the, about the coaches inside of the building or whoever was working under hightower because As much flack as High Tower gets, and he's the guy who did make the decision for the, you know, for the special teams. It's not like he was the only guy. There had to be a group of three, four, five other coaches in the
1: in the special teams meetings with him. So uh, we'll see what Matt Matt Harper is like the assistant special teams coach. I'm sure they have a special teams quality control guy.
0: Right, right.
1: So you have guys that are
0: probably in charge of like the kick the punt like all these different units as well so we'll uh we'll see what direction he goes there but yeah it it, it's just kind of interesting the the fact that the 49ers and there's no rush either but uh there are a lot of vacancies open so uh, we'll see I, i imagine we will see some some of those positions filled uh within the next couple of weeks all right so one of the things that we wanted to talk about was what the 49ers could learn from the rams so as you know the rams are now super bowl champions um who should they be is a whole other question just because of uh, that NFC championship, man. It's, it's hard to swallow that pill. It's hard to watch that game knowing that the 49ers um, pretty like They beat up on the Rams pretty good this season. And they, when you, when you say that out loud, it doesn't matter because they didn't beat them when it mattered. When it when it came down to it, uh, the 49ers didn't make enough plays to get by the Rams, but um, we we've seen, we've seen this, float around a couple times this this week so what do you think the 49ers learned from the Rams and is it as simple as having a bunch of good players relying on your superstars building your team around that because you know a lot of think about earlier this year when the Rams acquired OBJ when the Rams acquired Von Miller there's a lot of weird pushback when in a league that's built around stars and a league that the, te- the best teams have the best players. It's very simple, man. Um, Bill Belichick, last season, he struggled because they had a terrible team. Um, they were able to get to 500. In 2021, the Patriots were closer to being back. That's because they had better players. And, again, you could go down the list with team after team. Um, the 49ers, they're around here. The reason that we're talking about you know, the NFC Championship and consistently being, you know, over the past couple of years anyway, Is because they have really good freaking players so my question to you is what the 49ers learned from the rams and if that is
1: sustainable or attainable i started to write about this for niners nation i'll finish it out but i think kyle shanahan and sean mcveigh learned the same lesson last offseason which was they had you know functional starting quarterbacks in their system that were able to operate but in the highest of high-level games, in a Super Bowl, in an NFC Championship game, sometimes you just need the quarterback to make plays out of his ass outside of the structure of the play call when it's third and your season is on the line and there's 100 million people watching on TV and there's you know, 80,000 fans raining down on you. You just need the $40 million guy, the quarterback, to make a throw. And Matt Stafford did that the last three weeks. When they needed him, and he had some interceptions, whatever. But when they needed him against Tampa on the road, when they needed him against San Francisco at home in the fourth quarter, and when they needed him on that last drive against Cincinnati, you know, in the Super Bowl, he made plays, he made throws, and that was the difference. And you know, a lot of people will talk about Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. McVay honestly had a lot of questionable decisions in the last three weeks whether that was some long challenges against San Francisco, um, some weird, you know, play calls down the stretch Um, in the NFC title game. Then he had the weird fake, you know, throw from Cooper Cup, the Philly special play on a third and five when Stafford was rolling. There was just, you know, he was trying to force the run all game in the Super Bowl when it clearly wasn't working. There's just a lot of questionable decisions, but ultimately had Matt Stafford on his team. Stafford made enough plays. Cup made enough plays. OBJ was awesome early. Aaron Donald. Oh, was late, and that was the difference. And, you know, the big lesson that the 49ers can take away because they have a ton of talent on their roster too. You know, the names might be bigger for the Rams because you say OBJ, Von Miller, Aaron Donald, you're like, wow. And the Niners names, they're stars, but they're all homegrown, right? Fred Warner, George Kittle, um, Debo Samuel. And these guys just came up through the draft. So it's just viewed a little differently, but I think the big takeaway is, the 49ers tend to hold on to things when they don't work a little bit longer than the Rams do. When the Rams realize something doesn't work, they cut bait, they switch the, they switch plans, they eat salary cap space. They'll do whatever it takes to, you know, turn that into a functional player. Whereas the 49ers will hold on for dear life, hoping that it works out. You know, case in point, D. Ford is a great example. You know, if D Ford was a Ram, they would have cut him two seasons ago after 2019 and just 100%. ate the salary cap, moved on figured out how to replace him whereas the 49ers have kind of held on to that and i really hope that mindset changes where you know they focus on minimizing the dead cap whereas i think the rams had like 20 million dollars in dead cap and they were still you know keep the can down the road baby just keep the can down the road and i hope the 49ers take that lesson because they've got a team that's ready to win they've got talent basically at every position they've got a young quarterback that they believe can be their guy can be as talented as matt stafford can be as productive So now they just got to put it all together. And I think Kyle Shanahan took the more patient, prudent, long-term approach with Lance because he didn't get Stafford or he couldn't get Stafford. And McVay went with the more win-now approach and it just paid off. So you're hoping that the 49ers can take some of those things and just implement it to their team. And, you know, hell, they were a quarter away from the Super Bowl, and there's no reason to believe that they won't be back there. It all comes back to
0: Lance just because like, that's what this, the, the trade all of the decisions they've made, their future success will hinge on the success of Lance. How long will it take for him to be that guy? Like, how long will it take for him to develop into an above average, hopefully elite um, quarterback? Because that's what you need to win in the NFL. If you look at the playoffs, that's what like. These are the guy like Joe Burrow down the stretch. Like he made plays. He Get, got the ball to the right spots. And when I say make plays, it doesn't always mean you have to make like a 75 yard touchdown
1: throw, but it's just- it's just third and right five. Yeah, converting. The ball out? Right? When Aaron Donald's in your face, can you extend the play? Can you make something happen, right? And that's what these
0: quarterbacks did down the stretch. So that's what the 49ers need. And it, it's not really like, Jimmy Garoppolo's playing through an injury. Like he, he did a lot for this franchise. He did he a lot is. for this organization. But at the same time like we can we saw on the field you know when they needed to for him to make plays even in the first quarter of on the first possession I feel like it was where he airmailed the one to Kittle like those those throws happened far too often for us to ignore and uh, and you know th- with Lance there they're going to be mistakes there're going to be inevitable blunders there are going to be plays where you're wondering what in the hell were the 49ers thinking when they gave up Trey Lane or when they traded all that pick for Trey Lance? That is going to happen and you have to acknowledge that. Like we have to be ready for that. At the same time, there are going to be plays where you're like, whoa, why was he not playing last year? So what I want to I want to see the consistency where we get to the level of where it's just Trey being and I don't even I don't even want to name a comparison just because I don't want to put that on him. But do you feel like it's fair to say If he doesn't end up as like a top ten quarterback, this was this was all for naught. Hundred percent,
1: hundred percent. He's got to be significantly better than Jimmy Garoppolo because I feel like you can talk about his play or whatever, but there's some intangible element that Garoppolo brings to this team. He was really good on third downs earlier in the season. Unfortunately, that kind of you know uh, fell apart in the NFC title game. But there were things that he brought to the table that helped this team win. And Trey Lance is just going to have to be significantly better than that. And You know, uh, the bar is set, right? Jimmy Garoppolo, you could, I don't know how much, you know, what percentage of it he's responsible for, but the two times he's been healthy, they've, you know, ended up in the Super Bowl and they've ended up in the NFC Championship game. So Trey Lance is walking into a situation with high expectations. So, you know, it's going to be disappointing if he starts all next season and they miss the playoffs, for instance, because most fans will look at him and be like, hell, we were just there with Garoppolo. Why couldn't this more talented, you know, more physically gifted player get us there. And so that's that's a really tough part for a 21, 22-year-old to be able to have those type of expectations. But that's what's going to be placed on him, given how good this team is going to be, given how talented this roster is going to be. They're going to be expected to win now. They're going to be expected to make the playoffs. You know, you look at the Super Bowl odds. They have the fourth shortest odds right now. They have the second shortest odds in the NFC behind the defending Super Bowl champs. It tells you what Vegas thinks about this roster, by the way. Right. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure for a 21, 22 year old to handle. And by all accounts, it seems like Trey Lance has the character and the personality to be able to handle that. But, you know, until, you know, you know, if they were in a similar situation to this season where they're three and five bullets are flying, the adversity's high in the locker room, et cetera, is Trey Lance going to be able to, you know, weather through that storm like Jimmy Garoppolo was, I'm not sure. So, that's that's the unknown that's you're like you just don't know until lance plays a full 17 games what this is going to look like could look better could look worse could look the same you just you just don't know but you're hoping when you traded three first round picks for him and you bet on the character you bet on the physical tools that it ends up working out we'll see and that's all we can do we
0: will wait and see um there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure on that kid next season and how he handles it will be interesting i want to see how he deals with the media um, i want to see what type of pushback he gets from the fans because there's going to be inevitable pushback when he throws multiple interceptions when he misses a throw when he takes a sack that he doesn't have to like all those type of things that rookie quarterbacks younger quarterbacks do like those plays do happen and at the same time i want to see you know how the players rally around him i want to see um if we see the same type of support from jimmy and, and Again, you have to earn that. So that should be noted as well. And again, it's a bottom line business, man. People want to see you win. People want to see, you know, they know what the 49ers are capable of. They know how successful they have been in recent seasons. And I want to see how much of the blame Trey gets and how much credit he gets at the same time. Um, It'll be fun. We have a long way to go this offseason. Please stay with us. Uh, We will. By the next time we talk to you, for all we know, there will be a Jimmy Garoppolo play, uh, trade in place. It, I feel like that's going to be coming down the pike soon. Um, it We haven't really talked about his no trade clause, but it, I believe that's
1: March 16th. Doesn't, is that doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah, it's March 16th when the new league year begins, but the combine is March 1st to March 7th, which is, which is basically really in go down. 14, 15 days. So in the next two weeks, I'd imagine something for for his market to heat up. The Aaron Rodgers stuff probably kind of dictates where Jimmy Garoppolo goes. If Rodgers stays, then all of a sudden Jimmy Garoppolo has more landing spots. Suddenly the 49ers have some leverage, et cetera. So So I think Rodgers is the big domino that um, that has to fall in order for all these other guys to kind of find their home. All
0: right. That'll do it for us. My name is Kyle Posey. You can follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show. Um, I need to start getting into draft prospects. I think I'm going to start doing that. Uh, Kosh, what are you working on? What do you got going on?
1: Before we get into the draft, because I think the draft class isn't very good, the Niners don't pick till pick 61, so I just haven't been as invested. I'm still really looking forward to free agency. Um, I nerd out about like the salary cap and the contracts and how they're structured, so I can't wait for the next two weeks. I can't wait to see how much salary cap space the 49ers have, where Jimmy Garoppolo ends up, who they release, et cetera. Um, That part of team building is always really exciting. Last offseason, Trent Williams signed his deal at like 3 in the morning, I remember. And people are going wild on social media. So that kind of stuff's always fun. So stay locked in. Appreciate everyone listening. It was a fantastic season. Um, And just stay locked in with us. Subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-B-K-P. Where can they find you? K-P underscore show. As always, go Niners.